cement to lie? I mean, this is the same thing happening all over here again. Here's something really cool. Look at verse 15. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as if it had been the face of an angel. Can you imagine being on the council, sitting there watching and having this debate with Stephen, and all of a sudden his face just lights up, I mean literally glows so that everyone is looking and going, wow, wow. And there's no response recorded in the scripture. I know every word, every response isn't always written, but there's no response even listed in scripture where they went, whoa. Okay, think about this. In Exodus, who else's face shone one time? Moses. So in Exodus chapter 34, Moses had been with God and he's been up on Mount Sinai and, he's been, and he received the two tablets of stone with the commandments on it. And he comes back down from the mountain and the children of Israel saw the face of Moses that the skin of his face shone, literally shone. And at one point they put a veil over Moses' face because it was such an awesome thing. And I would think that these men who studied that passage would have looked at Stephen and said, wow, something is different about this guy. You think they would have acknowledged God's hand on Stephen and would have been in awe that they had God's servant before them here. But instead, they just pass him by. Let me ask you this. Can the world see that you're different because you've been with Jesus? We have Stephen here And already twice in this chapter, he said he was full of the Holy Spirit. It's already said that he's been full of wisdom and of power. Here is a man who spends time with God and knows him. And God honored him in this moment by letting his face literally radiate as if he'd been in the presence of God. I want to ask you, do we radiate because we've been in the presence of God? Now you might say, well, wait a minute, how do we do that? You know, Romans 12, 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word, it's a Greek verb. Okay, and I know once before I told you I don't know any Greek and I made up my own word, but this one is real, okay? Um, it comes from the word metamorpho. And it literally means to be changed on the outward appearance. So let me ask you something. If Scripture says that I've been transformed, if I've been changed on the outward appearance, I should be visibly, something should be different about me. Let me tell you what I think this looks like. Can you imagine that one day I was an enemy of God? And after I come to know Jesus, Colossians 1.20 says that I've made peace with God through the blood of the cross. And just having been made at peace with eternal God should bring a change in my life. My speech should be different because now out of the abundance of my heart, the mouth speaks. I tell you what, my heart has been changed and I talk different. 
My eyes have been changed. In Philippians, it says that I had not to look on my own things, but on the needs of others. So now, even the things I look at, I look at differently. My mind has been changed because Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. My feet have been changed because now they're shod with the preparation of the gospel. I am ready to travel and tell people about Jesus. The love that I have has changed because I don't love the world anymore. Scripture in 1 John, says, 1 John 2 says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So my love has changed. My thoughts have changed. Philippians 4, 8 says, whatsoever things are honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, think on these things. And as I think on those kind of things, do you think my life wouldn't change and respond and I would act differently? My motives have changed. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I now seek first the kingdom of God. I am a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. Um, I've changed. I've metamorphed, if that's the right way to say it, Pastor Jeremy. (laughs) I now live by Jesus said there are two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you think I would live differently if I did that? Do you think I'd live differently if, according to Galatians 5, I lived out the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control? Would that be evident in my life? My walk is different, according to Galatians 5. If we walk in the Spirit, let us also, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit I'm whole different now. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. My face may not glow and your face may not glow, but we ought to live so differently for the gospel of Jesus Christ that people look at you and they say, there's something different. I remember years ago, um, I was project manager for the company I worked at. And for my class, I think I just shared this not too long ago with you, but I would need to share it this morning. And we did a job for a lady and uh, for a family. Oh boy, everything went wrong. If you can have a job where everything goes wrong, everything went wrong. The cabinets were wrong and we had to take some back out and redo them. At that point, we were doing tile and um, halfway through the project, the tile guy quit. He left, he had all the information, nobody knew what else was happening, how it all had to be done. And I had to keep going back to this lady and working with this lady and trying to figure out, you know, I don't even know what color tile's going in the shower and this, and, I, and we're supposed to know all this, and everything went bad. And this lady, through the whole process, through the weeks of working with her, was just so understanding and cooperative and had such a gentle and a peaceful spirit Finally, when we're about done with the project, I looked at this lady one day and I said to her, you're a Christian, aren't you? She looked at me kind of surprised. And she said, how do you know? She told me yes. She said, how do you know? I said, because of the way you've responded to all that has gone on. Now, good people can respond well, but she had a quietness and a gentleness and a peace and something radiated from her that she was a believer. And as I talked with her, she was not only a believer, she was actively in speaking ministries and, and, and Christian service. Our face may not shine like Stephen's, 
but we ought to live differently. So now as we move on in the passage in chapter 7, remember he'd been accused of blasphemy, and the high priests say, are these things so? Now Stephen gives an explanation, and I think the passage that's missing is, he said, let me make a short story long. Because for the next 50 verses, Stephen explains and he clarifies he is not blaspheming God, he is not blaspheming Moses, and he is not blaspheming the temple. And he goes all the way back into history and he talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and everybody through history. He talks about David, he talks about um, um, Solomon, he talks about the 40 years in the wilderness. Part of me thinks that this guy knows things are bad and he's trying to go as long as he can with us. But the only thing I'll tell you is that's really not quite true because this guy is full of the Holy Spirit and he's speaking with confidence. And he's saying, man, I have not stepped on anybody's toes here. I believe the scriptures and I honor and respect them. And so that explanation was just 50 verses, okay? Um, You may read those when you go home, but if we were going to go through all that, uh, you would have needed to pack a lunch. So I'm thinking that all of these guys are pretty enthused about what's going on right now. Um, I think as they're talking, as he's talking about Abraham, they're going, yeah, yeah. They're talking about Isaac, yeah, yeah. They're talking about Moses, they're, yeah, they're all in, they're all in because they love to hear this, they love to hear it all. And then all of a sudden, something starts to change a little bit in verse 51. Actually, let me tell you, in verses 48, 49, and 50, he's saying uh, David wanted to build a temple, but Solomon got to actually do it. And he says, but who is God who's so great? Who can contain him in all the heavens? And this is like from this grand story all unfolding. And in verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, do you always resist the Holy Spirit? It's like, (laughs) boy, we took a turn here. And I don't know if they weren't paying attention for a moment. They were going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, what just happened here? Um, You stiff-necked people, Um, which literally means they were unable to turn their heads to see a different point of view. Um, He has just poured out his heart starting with Abraham and shared all the way through. And now he's taking into consideration all that he had told them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and they are not willing to turn to Christ. In fact, oh, and when he says you uncircumcised in heart and in ears, if you use their name and uncircumcision in the same sentence, that was a slam. What he said is you are equal to an uncircumcised Gentile is how guilty you are. And to that they would have gone, oh my, what what did he say? Listen, this is the third time this council has heard the gospel. In chapter 4, verse 8, Peter shared with them. In chapter 5, verse 27, the apostles shared this message with them. And now Stephen shares with them. Three times they've heard the gospel and still they resist the Spirit and refuse to turn. In fact, he says to them, not only do you refuse to turn, you guys have persecuted 
and killed the prophets. Like, he calls them out on everything, like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos and Elijah, and even the Messiah. He says, the just one? You even killed the Messiah. You guys have such hard hearts. And when they heard these things in verse 54, they were cut to the heart, or literally cut in half. They were exposed for all that they were. Suddenly their religious front, all of this stuff was revealed, and he calls them out for exactly what they are. They're lost. Okay, figure this one out. All right, kids, if you're reading along, look at chapter, uh, verse 54. The last, the last part, it says, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, no, they weren't literally biting him, but they were probably grinding their teeth and probably shaking their fist. These, these leaders of the synagogue right now are so angry, they can hardly control themselves, and they're trying to, oh, let me tell you about the maddest customer I ever had in my life. I used to do customer service uh, for a lot of years. Had a gentleman come in one day, and he came in with a control, and he said, I, I need to buy this part. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but we cannot sell direct to the public. Uh, we're wholesale only, and there's a liability issue because if we sell to Mr. Homeowner and he blows his house up and comes back to us because we gave him the wrong thing, so we couldn't sell it to him. And I said, well... How about if we work through the, uh, through the dealer you, who put the furnace in? No, no, I'm not dealing with that guy. Well, obviously, something went bad there. And, okay, so I'm trying to work with him. Like, how can I work through another dealer? How can, how can I help you? Um, and he's like, I want to buy this part. And I can't sell it to you. I, I, I was trying in every way I could to help this gentleman to get this part, doing it the way I needed to do it right, Okay. And he stood in the middle of our showroom with his part in his hand, and I could see a volcano erupting. And this guy, I think very much like these leaders, did about like this. And he started shaking, and he got so angry, and he took that part and went, and threw it on the floor, and that plastic shattered everywhere. He went to the front door, hit that door, it flew open all the way, and he was gone. And I thought, well, you voided the warranty on that. <laughs> wow. About a half hour later, he came back. <laughs> I'm looking over the counter because I don't want to go out there. <laughs> came back and he apologized. And he said, I need this part. It's getting cold. And I said, let me work with you. And so I worked with him like I wanted to do in the first place. But he was so angry and so out of control. And that's what this religious crowd is right now. They are out of control for all that Stephen has said. And I think there's conviction in their lives and they're not willing to face the fact that they are religious but not right. Verse 55. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit. All right. I've heard this several times now. This is the third time 
in the passage this morning, we've heard, but Stephen being full of the Spirit. I want to talk about that for just a minute, what it is to be full of the Spirit. It seems like this guy must be some super Christian. Like, wow. And you get that part about uh, full of, of grace and of, of power and of wisdom? Like, who, where do Christians like this come from? This is what the early church was. This is God's intent. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we saw where the Holy Spirit came finally. Jesus said, when I leave, I'll send another, and another comforter, and that was the Holy Spirit. And he tells the disciples to wait, and they do, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and he comes upon them. So the Spirit is here. Let me tell you, when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. And I know the passage says full of the Spirit, which means at some point maybe I'm not. But I want to say maybe, I want, I want to address this a little bit different if I can this morning. I want to say to you this morning, you have all of the Holy Spirit that you will ever have in need. Because when God gives us something, He doesn't give us part of anything. He didn't give me part of forgiveness He didn't give me part of eternal life, which I guess it couldn't be eternal then. He gave me peace that he calls perfect. He gave me joy that is called fullness. He gives grace that is sufficient. And he gave a love that never holds anything back. So what is then the full of the Holy Spirit? God's plan for us was to be under the full control of the Holy Spirit. I don't need more of the Holy Spirit. He needs more of me is what he's looking for. Billy Graham says, before we can be filled with the Spirit, before we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, we must deal honestly and completely with every known sin in our lives. You want to know what hinders the Holy Spirit working in your life? It's sin. And... uh, let, let me illustrate just a little bit for you, if I can, because I want, I want to make this really clear for you. <clears throat> this is my life with sin in it. A lot of garbage, a lot of junk. Man, what kind of things do we allow in our life? Okay, that was a good cup of coffee, and we have stuff. I mean, who would expect any, anything good out of here? So I have some water here, and just by way of example, who would want me to pour some water in here, and who would want to drink out of here? Nobody's thirsty? I'll give you a chance. Want a drink? I'll pour it in here. Okay. But if I clean this out, if I get rid of all the junk... I'm using a Norwex cloth (laughs) infused with silver. It gets everything clean, no germs. What else do I need to say? Gwen sells these if you're interested. Um, (laughs) 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us 
and to cleanse us from every or from all unrighteousness. That's why I need this thing to be clean. All right? Now it's usable. Now I can be filled. Now it's useful. Look, it, does it make any sense that I would want to have this garbage in my life and still drink out of that? And yet somehow we think as Christians that we can have sin in our life and expect the Holy Spirit to come in fullness and in power and in strength and in wisdom to fill us and to use us. We need to confess our sin, get our hearts right before God. We need to be a clean vessel. It was Billy Graham who said we can only fill, he can only fill those who wish to be emptied of self and yielded to him. He can only fill those who wish to be emptied of self and yielded to him. You know what? Sometimes I get so full of myself, my self-love, my self-will, my self-ambition, my self-effort that I get in the way so much. God doesn't want more of me. He wants less of me. He doesn't need my flesh Romans 6.13 says to yield yourselves to God. Romans 12.1 calls us to be a living sacrifice. And a living sacrifice, you put it on the altar, you take your hands off and you say, God, it's all yours. We need to day by day, moment by moment, um, keep ourselves right with God. When we sin, we need to confess and repent, which is turn away from it. And he can be in full control again. Stephen lived filled May I give you an example of what filled and unfilled, filled, controlled by the Spirit and not controlled by the Spirit is? And this happened a long time ago in my life, but it's so clear that I want to share. Do you remember some of you long ago when we did the Christmas program called All Is Well? And uh, Dave Hunt was here as our, as our uh, worship leader, and we did this play at Christmas time, and, and I was the narrator to the play, which means I... I kind of came in at times and interjected and filled in the gaps and, and told what it was and then at the end brought it to a conclusion. And, and through the course of the play, life was getting hard and everything wasn't working out at Christmas time and it was difficult. And then finally in the end, it came and it worked out and this person saw God working in it. In my closing comments, I, I remember saying that um, um, it was in his time and in his way um, that he worked it out and I had prayed before that play and I said God I empty myself before you I want so much to be used by you don't let me get in the way um, just to you be all honor and glory and praise and I really tried to put myself out of the way and that night with all the passion with all the heart um, with clarity of mind man I was so into that play I can remember with emotion reading or not even reading because I had memorized it my lines and I can tell you I think I was filled with the spirit that night and then the next night Martha Wilson did the reading or the narrating and then Martha got sick and so I was going to do it the, the following night Martha was going to do it twice I was only scheduled to do it once um, so when Martha got sick he said you're going to have to do it again so I'm okay but you know what happened I still prayed but here's what really happened. I said, you did a good job, Mark. You can do this. You nailed it last time. 
And on the second night when I did it, I was so unsure of my lines, and I wasn't sure I had it, and in my own heart, I knew I didn't have the passion because self got in the way and the Holy Spirit was not fully able to work through my heart and my life. And here we have this man, Stephen, who is full of the Spirit, constantly yielding himself to God, saying, I'm out of the way. You just work through me. All right, let's go back to the text. <clears throat> Verse 55. Can you imagine this? Stephen being full of the Spirit looked steadily up, up, to, up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now I know that in, in Matthew, um, Matthew 26, let me just, when Jesus is speaking and defending himself, Jesus said to him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand in the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus is telling those who have him on trial, Someday I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of power. And I should have probably had verse 65 up there also, the next verse, because you know what the response was? They're ripping their clothes. They're so angry at what he said again. And now Stephen he looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus, the one who said he would be there. First he sees it and then in verse 56, he verbalizes it. And he looks up and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine these religious leaders who really potentially could have been the some of the same ones who heard Jesus say it and they now hear Stephen say, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And if, if, if they put the two together, Jesus said it. Now he sees, Stephen says he sees him there. Oh, man, what rage. Listen, they must either now admit that they were wrong about Jesus or just kill Stephen too. Because Jesus had made that claim that he would be there. Verse 57, they get so frustrated they can't handle this anymore. They cover their ears and they're shouting and stomping and they're like, no, 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 no more of this. Then they grab Stephen. They take him outside of the city in verse 58 and they stone him. You know the witnesses had to throw the first stone according to the book of Leviticus. Can you imagine you lied about this and you have to throw the first stone? That would be pretty hard. But this mob was so intent, I don't even know if they waited. I think they all picked up stones. And they were running at Steve. They grab him up. They drag him out of the city. And they start to stone him. Pastor Clint, several weeks ago in his message, used this quote. He said, The very people whose lives are at stake are now offering new life to those who are seeking their death. And Stephen does the same thing. He says, lay not this sin to their charge. And the only way that God could not lay the sin to their charge would be if they would come to Jesus Christ through salvation and acknowledge him as Savior. What Stephen really was shouting was, they need Jesus. Even as they were throwing stones and life was going out of him. And Stephen 
was willing to make him known at any cost. Even in death, Stephen's greatest desire was to make him known. If you walk out of these doors this morning, when you get out the door, you turn around and you will see written above the doors, it says, we exist to know Christ and to make him known. I want to ask you this morning, would you be like Stephen, even if it cost you your life, which probably isn't very likely here in the United States, but what if you were arrested? Go, go online, look at stuff. People in the United States are being arrested for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read of one instance in a shopping mall, and their state law says, and laws vary, for some shopping malls it's private property, so they could have a right to say it. Um, In this state, the law says that a shopping mall is the same as a town square where people gather together, and it is okay to share. And still this man was arrested and still being prosecuted for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But would you share even give up your personal comfort or fear? Would you at any cost make him known the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I just want to take one minute here to just briefly, Pastor Jeremy, your team could come up. If I talked all around the gospel this morning and didn't tell you what it was, I'd be pretty wrong. So let me share the gospel. The gospel is all of sinned. And these leaders of the synagogue could not fathom that or comprehend that or accept that, and they resisted all of the Spirit's prompting in their life. I remember talking one time years ago, um, I was pretty gung-ho about Christ, and we went to a jail service, and a young man was in jail there, and I'm sharing the gospel with him, and I'm getting through the first verse about how all have sinned, and I'm trying to, I don't know how to make it clear, and Finally, I looked at him and I just said, well, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't true, would it? Um, Okay, that wasn't the right approach maybe, but um, I I had to get it through. All have sinned. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God commanded his love. God demonstrated his love. God showed his great love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. And all we have to do is, Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to challenge you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can confess your sin to Him, accept the free gift that God gives to you, and have eternal life. Thank you.